Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Germany in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. On this week's show, we're looking into whether there are going to be travel problems for people traveling to, from or within Germany over the coming weeks and letting listeners know what to expect. After an alleged plot to overthrow the government came to light last week, we're asking if we should be worried about the far-right movement linked to this plot and looking at why Germany is debating gun laws. We'll also dig into where rents are increasing fastest in Germany and the reasons why they're going up so much at the moment. And lots of people listening will be familiar with Germany's immigration offices. Today we're talking about some of the more negative experiences that internationals have had there and looking at how they can improve. Finally, we'll finish off with a little festive-themed quiz that you can, of course, take part in at home. I'm your host, Rachel Loxton, and I'm joined in Berlin today by journalists Sarah McGill and Aaron Burnett. Hello, everyone. How are you? Good. Very good, Rachel. Hello. So we're recording this on Wednesday, December 14th. It's been pretty cold here in Germany, definitely into the sub-zero temperatures. <laughs> Guys, how are you managing it? Well, I mean, I have to say I've forgotten completely about the price of heating and all of my radiators are on full blast at the yeah? moment. Yeah. It's been freezing. Well, it's minus seven in Berlin at the moment, so it's cold-ish. Remember that this is very strange for me coming from Canada. My hometown will be minus 33 next week. So oh, wow. hearing Europeans complain about the cold uh, is always a little bit funny to me. It's that time of year when lots of us are getting on planes, trains or driving to see friends and family. And it really is not appealing. You will have all noticed that traveling is much more expensive and it's just generally been a nightmare over the past years. Of course, there was a pandemic when it was almost impossible to go anywhere. And then in summer, there was the absolute chaos that came, mostly because airlines and airports had got rid of so many staff in the pandemic. And then they didn't have the staff when people were traveling again. Aaron, how bad is it out there at the moment? Well, if your way home takes you to or through France or the UK, then prepare for, for some chaos. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're looking at impending strikes by rail workers in both countries. And I'll get to that in a minute as far as France is concerned. But let's go to the UK where, ironically, the strikes are going to be worse than in France. No, yeah, That's headline a, news. There's a historical irony for you. Yeah, so we are actually possibly looking at strikes by UK border staff, um, actual border guards, workers with the PCS union there. Uh, are planning on striking from December 23rd straight through to New Year's Eve with a one-day break on December 27th. Uh, and those will affect London Heathrow, London Gatwick, Manchester, Birmingham, Cardiff and Glasgow airports. The other airports that we haven't mentioned are often represented by other unions, so they won't necessarily be affected. But members at the port of New Haven uh, are planning to strike 
on the same days as they are workers there represented by the same union. Uh, that'll affect ferry terminals or arrivals from Dieppe. Uh, in France. The UK Home Office says expect long lines at passport control coming into the country, possibly as long as 10 hours. 10 hours. Oh my goodness. So that will affect if you're yeah, flying from German airport into the UK. Do you expect any cancellations from that? There could be. Uh, At the moment, um, many airlines say they're still planning on running a full flight schedule. If your flight from Germany to the UK is cancelled, though, remember that EU passenger rights law applies and you might be entitled to compensation because your flight is originating from within the EU. At least mm-hmm. one leg of it is is coming from there. Okay, so lots of problems in other European countries that will have a knock-on effect on Germany, especially if you're heading to France, the UK, right? Right, yeah. The situation within Germany might not be uh, quite as bad. Yeah, um, what, what is the case if you're traveling within Germany? Yeah, so expect a few possible knock-on effects from whatever's going on in the UK or France, potentially, if flights get cancelled, certainly. But there's two things, potentially, to look out for in Germany. One is if there are big staff shortages, for example, due to COVID, that's not necessarily going to be clear just yet. Uh, The other big thing is the weather. We've spoken to Tom Boone, an aviation expert at Simple Flying in Frankfurt, and he tells us to expect uh, much the same kind of traffic that we we're seeing pre-pandemic, leave yourself with plenty of time to get to the airport, check the weather forecast, be prepared that you might have some weather delays. He says make sure you have all your documents, including COVID ones, because there are uh, some destinations that may still have protocols in place or even some who have only recently dropped it, even at the beginning of this month. So there's a few that still have those. He says if your flight is cancelled, be aware of the rights that you have under EU law. And finally, be courteous to the staff. It is not their fault if your flight gets cancelled. They're not looking to keep you at home. Oh, yeah, I think that's easier said than done sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially if you've gone through security lines at... at BER airport in Brandenburg, but we do our best. Yeah, and we and we should say there are no COVID regulations on travel in Germany, but there may be people off sick when you say there could be COVID shortages, like people off sick with COVID, right? Right. Or yes. other flu. Yeah, and that could certainly be the case at airports or certainly even on trains. For example, um, speaking of, if you haven't booked your train ticket yet, do it soon and consider traveling at off-peak times like early in the morning. Tickets are getting very expensive already. If you're driving, uh, like I will be to Bavaria to see family this weekend. Very nice. Yeah, make sure your car is winterized. Um, If you're renting a car, most rental agencies will indicate when you book that your car has suitable tires, so do make sure for that. And uh, also we've seen advisories, especially if you're traveling in the Alpine region, so Bavaria, to be prepared for that extra little bit of snow that might not be in the rest of Germany. A series of raids last week saw German police arrest 25 members of an extremist group suspected of plotting to overthrow the German government. Since then, Germany has been debating how serious a threat this was, and there's also talk of tightening gun laws. Now, the coup plot was linked to the Reichsbürger movement. We'll hear more about them in a moment. 
But Aaron, can you tell us what's the latest on this story? So the coup plotters allegedly had plans to set up 280 armed groups around the country who would be tasked with capturing and, yes, executing key people after the coup. It sounds like something you might find in dystopian fiction. And here it is. We are actually hearing about a real plot uh, that, you know, seems only real to us from books. Apparently, concrete plans for these groups were already in place in Thuringia, Saxony, and Baden-Württemberg. Parliamentarians are holding closed meetings and asking the Schultz government just how concrete were these plans, uh, because we're hearing that in some cases they may have already been quite far along. So we're still finding out answers uh, to exactly that question. How close were they? Police arrested 25 suspects, as we said before, but there's still 27 out there. And there may end up being more than that as this investigation keeps going. So we're still waiting on a lot of arrests of people who are at large. And Sarah, what could this mean for the country's gun laws? Because I know um, MPs have been looking into this as well. Uh, Well, yeah, it means they will probably be tightened to stop potentially dangerous people getting their hands on weapons. Following the raids last week, Interior Minister Nancy Fraser said that she wants to sharpen gun laws and push on with her action plan against right-wing extremism, which she put forward earlier this year. So that would mean strengthening procedures for revoking and denying weapons permits, by, amongst other things, setting up a forum where the police and other relevant authorities could exchange information about what they have on people with the goal of preventing people with, as they call them, mental illnesses and extremist views from being able to get a weapons permit. Were there a lot of weapons found? Yeah, they found at least 40 firearms. Okay, so this is why it's such a big issue. Exactly. And keep in mind some of the people who were arrested as well. They include former and currently serving members of the military as well as special forces who are some of the most elite units of any military in the world. And Sarah, are Germany's gun laws quite tough at the moment as they stand? Well, they certainly are if you compare them to somewhere like America, which has also seen recent plots to overthrow the government. Applicants for a licence in Germany, they have to be at least 18 years old. Applicants under 25 have to have a psychiatric evaluation. People have to pass a specialised knowledge test. And crucially, applicants have to prove a specific and approved need for the weapon, which is mainly limited to use by hunters, competitive sportsmen, collectors and security workers, so not for Mm self-defence. But as Aaron said, of course, the problem is that many members of the Reichsburger group were ex-military and police, so it might be that just tightening gun laws won't be enough on its own, and that's why it's also being discussed at the moment about tightening security in the Bundestag. Yeah, it really does make you wonder how that they got their hands on these weapons. And keep in mind, too, that as Sarah was just saying about tightening security in the Bundestag, members are particularly concerned about a form former AfD or Alternative for Germany far-right MP who is a sitting Berlin judge and who had access to a lot of government spaces like the Bundestag. So if you put all of these elements together, uh, weapons, access, that sort of thing, you start to get uh, a scary plot. Thank you both for those updates. Let's hear now from Mike Stutchbury, a writer and researcher into the far-right in Germany, who I talked to about the Reichsburger movement. I said Reichsburger are are not necessarily a centralised group. Rather, they are all disparate groups, disparate individuals with reasonably similar beliefs. And and that belief is 
or central belief is, is that the Federal Republic of Germany is not a legitimate governing authority. Now, different groups and different individuals have different grounds for, for not essentially believing in, in a modern Germany, but they all sort of see the country as it exists in this form since 1949 as being illegitimate. And what many of them want to do is they want to restore or have a continuation of authority. And in the case of this coup attempt, they were trying to have a continuation of the German empire that existed between 1871 and 1918. So if you've been reading the newspapers, it's been quite a hysterical thing to see, I've been looking at some of the individuals um, involved. But they do have quite a great deal of support in some areas of Germany who sort of see the modern Federal Republic of Germany as being somewhat totalitarian in scope and essentially not being the Germany that they believe should still be in existence, considering you know the fact that it was once an empire. Mm-hmm. And any particular parts of Germany where this movement is a bit bigger? I found it interesting that the, one of the central figures of the of the the, the coup attempt, Heinrich Rus the thirteenth, was he, well, he hails from Turingen, so that's kind of eastwards, it's at the eastern half across where former East Germany. There is a concentration of the belief there. That's historically the the eastern half of Germany has been an, a hotbed for right wing beliefs for various reasons, and it's a very complex situation. But put it this way, I wasn't surprised that he emerged from there with this set of beliefs. And is this movement something that people should be worried about in Germany? I think any group has the potential for violence and to do some very horrible things. Um, now, the, the, the Reichsburg, uh, this particular plot, there's been a number of aspects reported about it that, that were never going to happen. For example, some papers said that they were going to use uh, what's called an EMP to knock out all the power and um, they would take over after that. Simply, they don't have the capacity to do these kind of things. But this particular coup attempt did have quite a number of people behind it and they did have quite a few ex-military members there. And I think it's it's a very good thing that the uh, that the government is keeping a very close eye on it. So one of the, the, the things that is taken for granted about the German far right is that quite a number of them are um, are informants. So they will they will tell the authorities if they sort of see something that's you know they think is doesn't exactly adhere to their set of beliefs. So I don't think we should be really worried about it because there are people keeping an eye on it, and in some ways they don't have the capacity to pull off what they're planning to. So if the government sort of monitors it, we'll be okay. That's what I'm trying to say. Where is all this coming from? This kind of extremism because it's obviously starting somewhere. There's always been a certain degree of, I wouldn't say disbelief, but uh, sort of reluctance to sort of adhere to the new reality after World War II. The reach of, of Imperial Germany is a lot further. There's a lot more to it than people might think. So a lot of these people, it's the symbolism, it's it's the values that it represents, it's strength. And I think a lot of people just sort of feel like they're in a world where nobody can sort of express those ideas because they're told all the time that they can't sort of show these symbols, they can't have these demonstrations, that things are unconstitutional, that they have this sense that they're sort of under under some sort of totalitarian or authoritarian control. People always want something to complain about. People always want someone to blame for the things that are going wrong in their lives or in, you know, in the world around them, things that we can't control. And some sort of plot or some sort of plan by conspirators to sort of make everybody's lives, to basically keep everybody under control, it's, it's a very sort of seductive idea. And it's mm-hmm. the same sort of idea that sort of drives the QAnon movement in the United States, all sorts of movements across all sorts of countries, essentially. 
With inflation going up, it's perhaps no surprise that rent costs in Germany have also been increasing. But a study released this week found that there has really been a spike in the costs of renting in Germany. And even in places that normally don't see such steep increases. So Aaron, what's the picture across Germany? Well, nationally, uh, the German Institute for Economic Research, the DIW, charted a 5.8% year-on-year increase in rent in the third quarter. And that compares to the 4.5% we've seen in the last three years. So a real big jump. And That's huge. Yeah. And, and the other thing about that particular jump is that it masks the fact that it's even worse. It's a, it's a nationwide average, right? It's even worse in some places, including a few places that you may not have been expecting, as you said before. So what do I mean by that? 7.9, almost 8% in Saarland. Um, in oh. Little Saarland, yeah. Um, and 9.1% in Brandenburg, which is, yeah, a, a, you know, even a very uh, rural kind of uh, state that uh, in many places that surrounds uh, Berlin. And 10.3% in Mecklenburg, West Pomerania, right where the, the coast of the, uh, of the Baltic Sea is. And city-wise, Berlin and Leipzig, uh, perhaps no surprise, uh, are the worst. They've seen increases of around 8% each. That's really interesting because, yeah, like you pointed out, these are not the places that everyone is flocking to. So why are rents going up so much? Well, DIW says that's down to a couple of things. Uh, rising inflation. And that rising inflation has really made the cost of building materials go up. So that's one uh, major factor. Uh, some companies are just suspending or scaling down their building because of how expensive it is to build. And then there's higher mortgage rates. Uh, interest rates uh, to actually get a mortgage have tripled in some cases. That is making home ownership uh, unaffordable for a lot of people. So people are switching to renting, and mm-hmm. that's creating a lot of demand on, on the rental market. The demand for housing is also up because more and more people come to settle here in Germany. We do still have a major labor shortage, but there's also a big shortage of supply. Governments around Germany are plainly falling short of their home building targets, and all of that is coming into the mix. And so we've talked about this on the the podcast before, but there really doesn't seem to be any talk or action from Germany addressing the increasing rents, right? Well, a couple of years ago, Berlin's rent cap was ruled unconstitutional. Germany's highest court basically said, look, only the federal government can issue a blanket rent cap quite like that one. And the federal government so far is not talking about doing one at all. Ultimately, though, as we've also talked about on this podcast recently, uh, governments are falling well short of house building targets. The original target was 400,000 new homes a year, of which 100,000 would be affordable housing. The government has revised that target downward to 200,000, so about half that much for both 2023 and 2024. If there isn't the supply to meet the demand, rent is just going to keep going up. That's just basic economics. And with the price of construction material up, it's not really clear when we're going to see relief, at least on the supply side of things. Thanks for that update, Aaron. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of our listeners will be well aware of the stress of having to get or renew their residence permit or visa in Germany. It can often involve queuing for hours, lots of paperwork, and sometimes it's just really difficult to to get an appointment in the first place. And another problem that's been reported to us by foreign residents here is the sometimes unwelcoming culture of immigration offices in Germany, which is at odds with the country's plans to be welcoming to internationals coming to work here. Sarah, I know you've been looking into this story for several months. What have people been telling you about their experience of going to the Ausländerbehörde or the immigration office? Well, unfortunately, the overwhelming response I've had from people is that they've had a very difficult time with the Ausländerbehörde, the immigration office in Germany. The complaints they've had have ranged from complete unresponsiveness to emails and phone calls, having to wait months for an appointment, to the mistreatment by staff at the Ausländerbehörde. One American lady told me that her caseworker explicitly told her that she hated Americans. A lawyer told me that she was regularly shocked by how her clients were spoken to by caseworkers in the Ausländerbehörde in her presence. And she said, you know, I can only imagine how bad it is when I'm not there. It was just really a picture of extremely unsatisfactory service. And it's an issue that's causing a lot of people a lot of unnecessary stress. And it's damaging to people's mental health as well. And this really seems out of step to what we're hearing from the German government, who wants to encourage more skilled workers from abroad. Can you recap what the government plans are to to have a more welcoming culture for people coming to Germany? Well, the government are planning to bring in a raft of measures next year to make immigration easier and more attractive, including bringing in a points-based system that waters down some of the stricter entry requirements. And they've also put forward plans for pre-integration services and courses on the topic of living in Germany. And they plan to support skilled workers in their families in their entry and first steps in Germany. And do you think that's achievable, given what people have been telling you? 
Well, I think the goal of welcoming people at the outset is achievable. But what I think is not achievable or is not even seen as important at the moment is the reform of the situation for people who have already moved to Germany and then want to extend their visas or to obtain a residency permit. It's all very well having policies that encourage people to come to Germany. But if the situation is such that lots of people are in a constant state of insecurity about their status... They will eventually leave the country and Germany's worker shortage problem won't go away. Yeah, and I know from speaking to friends of how nervous they get before they are going to an, an Ausländerbehörde appointment. Yeah, I mean, one person described it to me as traumatic. Like, it's really, I mean, of course, we have to bear in mind that the people I spoke to were motivated to come and speak to me because they've had such bad experiences. But the things that people were telling me were, were really quite shocking. And Sarah, did you talk to any immigration offices? What do they say about it all? Uh, so I contacted three of the immigration offices which people had complained to me specifically about, two of which are still processing their responses. But the immigration office in Berlin did come back to me and they told me that their employees absolutely do not make decisions arbitrarily or subjectively. They told me they strictly follow the various national and legal laws and guidelines. They also said that last year alone, only 1% of residency titles applied for were rejected. And they said that challenges like Brexit and the pandemic and the war in Ukraine have led to a much higher demand for appointments and workers doing over hours. And so they have put some measures in place, like they established a counselling service in June 2020. And they've also got an ombudsman in place now who people can go to to lodge complaints. Oh, interesting. And and so what can people do if they feel they've had a negative experience at the immigration office? Well, one thing they can do is talk to a journalist and then we can <laughs> write a report about it. But no, seriously, it depends where you are. If you're in Berlin, you can contact the ombudsman. But unfortunately, in a lot of Bundesländer, there is not really a, a good complaint service in place. And one of the lawyers I spoke to also said that, you know, there should really be some kind of independent complaints office that has the authority to go into immigration offices and be able to review complaints. And and by the way, Sarah, I'm interested, are people having any positive experiences that you've heard of? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, well, a couple of people I spoke to did mention, you know, some of the good experiences they had. One guy living in Essen said that although he's had to wait a very long time for an appointment, the people that work there have actually been quite friendly. The American lady who was directly insulted said that she had a very good experience in Bonn. She got her visa stamped pretty much straight away. So it's not all negative, but the thing is that the negative experiences are so bad that yeah. they really need to be addressed. And it really does seem to depend on the the person, the caseworker that you have, maybe the the area you're in, maybe that makes a difference. It, it seems to be a very different picture all over. Yeah, I think that's really the big issue is that actually the caseworkers at the immigration offices, they do have certain spiel realm, like room for manoeuvre, mm -hmm. a certain amount of discretionary room to, to take decisions. So as it stands at the moment, if you get a caseworker who, for whatever reason, takes a dislike to you, then you, you have bad luck and they can really cause you big problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I think that most of us who um, either if we've been to the Auslandebehörde ourselves or um, know someone who has no stories of discretion having happened. Uh, I know someone who years ago got an extra year on his visa because he brought cookies or, yeah, we... 
We think that's why, but he he bribed his caseworker with cookies and apparently seems to have worked. And then I know a married couple who were originally told they needed to book two appointments Mm -hmm. and then got a caseworker that said, no, we can take you in one appointment and make the decision now. So I think that if those are two very, I think, very benign examples, but I think anyone who says that uh, there's no discretion and there's a very strict sort of following of the law may not have visited an office recently. Yeah. Great stuff. Right. Really, really um, interesting investigation. And we'll post the links to that in the show notes. And let's hear now from Kumar Ashish, who is the spokesman for the Federal Union of International Students in Germany. I asked him what some of the problems foreign students in Germany or those hoping to come to Germany face with the immigration offices. Of course, language is a very big barrier for the students because uh, we have around 49% dropout ratio for the bachelor's student and around 28% dropout ratio for the master's student. The reason behind dropout ratio is not only the exams and exam pressure and the and the things going on which a student has to deal at the university, but besides that, because the bachelor study normally goes from four year to six year. Normally, it's on an average. It goes also up to seven or eight year. And during those years, he or she is completely regularly stressed from the outstanding behavior because a student gets visa maximum for one year to two year. In that case, he has to show the blocked account, which is a higher sum, you know, around 11,000 euro and all the other things. And when he goes for the visa extension, instead of helping him or her out, they are saying that, okay, you need to bring your result. Until then, we are not going to give you a often held title card. So the residence card. Yes, they don't provide residence card. But rather, they provide a Bishanigung on the A4 paper, where it says that, okay, you have a temporary residence here permit, but you are not allowed to go anywhere out of Germany. Mm, so it's like a certificate, the uh, kind of temporary certificate. Exactly. And they get this on a regular basis. If I say about the language is that if any student says that, okay, I can't speak German, I just want to speak in English. And then they say that, because this has happened most most of the time, this is that we don't speak German, uh, but uh, yes, uh, we can try. There is no fluent conversation. They try to say that, okay, we speak in English, but there is no fluency in their communication. They just say that, okay, uh, sign here, do this, do that, that's it. But 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 I used to expect someone to speak in English. For an example, when they go to the German embassy in their home country for the visa for the first time, very first time when they are coming to here, they are not giving the visa interview in German. They are giving it in English. Yeah. So you think that's contributing to a lot of miscommunication? Exactly. It's a very very big factor. And I will also say that during COVID or after COVID. It has increased slightly in a number that that they are trying to speak, but yeah, they need to work a lot on it. Mm-hmm. And do you think then people might be thinking, well, maybe I want to go to the US or another country? Obviously, Germany really wants skilled workers, but this might be a deal breaker for some of them. This is a very good question because uh, with the interest when I talk to them before they come to Germany, they say that, okay, I want to come to Germany because education is free. This is the first impression of why they want to come in Germany. Education is free. I don't have to pay anything. In all other countries, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you have to pay higher tuition fees, you know, and here you are getting quality education. But when they arrive here, and they see that, okay, 
how can i get settled in germany oh okay i need to complete my bachelor's and masters how easy or hard is it to complete bachelor's and masters oh not so easy okay i have lived here for 6 or 7 years can i get a pr no i cannot get a pr first i need to take a job search visa i need to find a job and that should be adequately fitting the criteria of the austrian border then only i can apply after 18 months or or 24 months so when they understand the whole scenario that okay how it works here in germany to get settled in germany because settled doesn't mean for them that okay i need a temporary residence for every one year or two year but they just want to be a citizen of this country or a part of this country so that they can work or think freely on their next move of the life and uh, when they see that okay this is far easier in canada this is far is easier in australia you can bring your parents over there then this is that okay whatever it is i have to pay 20000 dollar or 40000 dollar i am fine with it i will even though if i have to sell my properties in my home country i will sell it but i prefer to go there because i see myself in future getting settled over there rather than taking a risk and playing over in germany so this is a huge fear in their mind that even after doing something for a longer time are they going to get accepted here in germany or not and they don't have this fear in the other country that's why they are preferring nowadays uh, since last 3 or 4 year this number has increased to going to other country okay so we are finishing off this week's podcast with a little quiz i am going I to i love quizzes <laughs> i'm so glad i'm going to give you two lovely panelists here a few questions on festive culture in germany and you can Ooh. give it a go oh in answering them how does that sound Bring it on. Scary. <laughs> yeah, and like <laughs> I said, two very different reactions. Yeah, true. Like I said, if you're listening Watch at home, do better than me. <laughs> please try and answer them. And Aaron, don't worry about it. You guys can uh, collaborate if you want. It's fine. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's kick off. So, very when... German, very collaborative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When do Germans traditionally put up their Christmas trees? Is it the first day of Advent, December 18th, December 24th? or December 25th. Ooh. I I mean I'm inclined to say December 24th that's what I've heard but I thought they put it up before and then decorate it on the 24th. Aaron you probably know this. I actually don't. This is where uh, this is where we sort of imported Canadian tradition growing up <laughs> at home and we'd still eat on the 24th which is when most Germans eat but I'm going to say December 18th. I feel like you should feel free to put up your tree on the first advent but I'm going to say December 18th. I'm going to risk it and say 24th. You're saying different things. Yeah, Interesting. sure. Interesting. Okay, well, the answer is December 24th. Well, hey. Oh, wow, you don't have your tree up for very long then. <laughs> no, uh traditionally that yeah. is what German families would do. They would go on December 24th and get their tree and put it up or maybe or maybe they do only decorate it then. We need to, we need to maybe get that uh checked. We'll straighten that out. I feel like a lot of German <laughs> families are Are, are bucking tradition now, though I think. Yes, um, yeah. exactly. Yes, I think it's slightly different now. But certainly, I um, have a friend who sells Christmas trees, and he says he still gets a big rush on December twenty fourth. Okay. Um, with people coming to get their tree, that's the traditional way. But yes, I think modern culture people like to have it up a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a shame. To the wait the lots the are the lots are in operation a lot earlier. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah but you keep it you keep it up longer. I think yeah. in January if you put it up later. Okay. Very Very good. Let's move on to the next question. Okay. Bleigießen 
is a form of divination or fortune telling, which is popular around the festive period in Germany. But when is it practiced and what does it involve? Is it New Year's Eve and involves melting lead? Is it St. Nicholas Day and involve fire gazing? Is it Christmas Eve and involves origami? Is it epiphany and involves burning sage? I think the first one sounds the geeson is like to pour bly. Is that some sort of metal? Like, I think it sounds yeah. it sounds bonkers, but <laughs> I think it's well. I mean, quite frankly, so is putting up your tree on December twenty fourth. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Like, let's have the pretty stuff up. So let's go for the the bonkers answer. You both going for the same? I think it's yeah, I think it's one. a good educated guess. Yeah. Okay, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. So Blagiesen is a kind of fortune telling, which is traditionally practiced on Sylvester, so New Year's Eve, and it involves pieces of lead being heated in a spoon over a candle and then placed into cold water, a bowl of cold water, and the shape of the lead can be interpreted to predict your future. But I think it's more of like a fun thing. It's not kind of a serious tradition. It's something kind of fun that families sometimes do in Germany. It's a, it's a good time. Great. It's a good time for it, though. But where know. do you get? Le- I mean, Eve. can you pick up lead easily? You know what? We melt? need we need someone who's listened to this podcast who does this to get in touch and tell us how how this actually happens. Yeah, tell us where can we pick up some lead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, feel free to share or call us. Yeah, and also please stay safe if, <laughs> if you're doing that. Well, I think maybe that's less risky of a New Year's Eve activity than you know the rockets that people fire off the fireworks. But you true, know, yeah. true. Okay, last question. All right. Which of these is a traditional festive sweet in Germany? Sweet sausages, cherry ham, peppermint onions, or marzipan potatoes? Oh, they all sound revolting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and they all sound like something that you would be able to find here. (laughs) In fact, I'm sure that I've seen a fair few of these things around. Do you... Have one that you think is. I'm going sweet. to. I'm going to go for sweet sausages. Yeah, I think I'm leaning yeah. towards that as well. Which I've had before. I don't know if it's properly traditional, but yeah. <laughs> sweet sausages. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Yeah. Okay. Marzipan kartoffeln. That makes a lot of sense. That yeah. was the next guess. So marzipan potatoes. Yeah. These are festive treats, and they're not actually potatoes. They are little balls of marzipan that look like potatoes. Oh, oh I've had these. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've had I've had these. I don't like them that much, but I've had them. Yeah, that yeah, makes they sense. They sell them. They sell them everywhere. They do. In yes, they do. Yeah, it's true. Okay, very good. I have one bonus question for you. Are Christmas pickles ornaments? Really, a German tradition. Uh, have you heard of I've it? I've not seen any. I've not seen the one. Gurke. No. Ornaments, so like pickled and then put for, on display for a Christmas tree. I mean, maybe it sounds like a more modern interpretation of. Tradition. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it was, but I'm going to say no because I don't. I certainly don't remember <laughs> anything like that. I will also say no. Yeah, you guys are absolutely right. It's a legend that they are a German tradition. They actually seem to be an American tradition that some Americans think comes from Germany. And this is honestly one of our most popular stories on the local every Christmas. So we'll post the link to the story in the show notes. But yes, they are not a German tradition at all. Germans do not put pickles on their Christmas tree. (laughs) (laughs) Americans thinking that Germans uh, do something that they don't do. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a shame. Well, maybe maybe we should start. Exactly. Yes. It, it sounds pretty cool. Vinax Gorka. Uh, you, you guys can go right ahead. <laughs> I'll keep the pretty ornaments on my tree. Okay, well done to both of you. I think you did really well. And you were good sports in taking part in that. Thank you, Rachel. We enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. That's all for this week. Thank you very much to our listeners. And as always, we'll add the links in the show notes for the different topics that we've been covering. And if you like what we're doing, then please consider becoming a member of The Local Germany if you're not already. You can support us by heading to thelocal.de and subscribing with the reduced rate for podcast listeners at thelocal.de slash podcast offer. Thank you to this week's panelists, Sarah McGill and Aaron Burnett, as well as Mike Stutchbury, Kumar Ashish, and our sound engineer, Reese Edwards. If all goes to plan, we are aiming to be back next week with a bonus episode, so stay tuned for that. And of course, we will also be back in January. You can follow us on Twitter. Our username is Germany in Focus. And please leave a review or a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Rachel Loxon, and until next time, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.